0: Welcome! You are listening to the Learning to Believe Again podcast with your host, Brittany Bexton. Where do you begin when you're learning to believe again? Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast. I have had this topic come up a lot in some of my posts recently where people have been sharing about having hope deferred is really, they haven't used those words, but that is what they are dealing with. So what I mean by that is they are dealing with disappointment and hurt because things that they believed were from the Lord or had promises from the Lord on have not come to pass yet. And some of them even look dead now. There is a verse in Proverbs that says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. There are times that we have to wait, and it can be hard in the waiting. Did you know that in Mark, when Jesus is confronted with the man whose son has been demon-possessed and he has seizures as a result, and the disciples hadn't been able to cast out the demon— the man approaches Jesus, and Jesus asks, why? Well, there's this moment with that man and Jesus where Jesus, or the man, says to Jesus, if you can heal my son, please do, basically. And Jesus says, if, if you believe, anything is possible for those who believe. And the man says, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In that verse, belief is faith. When he says, I believe, that's his faith saying, I believe, God, I know who you are. Help my unbelief or help me overcome my unbelief. That word for belief is actually about trust. So basically what that man is saying is, This has gone on for a really long time. I've thought many times that my son would be healed and he wasn't. And now I have trust issues. So help me to trust you fully, God, because I believe you. But help me to trust you fully. So sometimes when we have to wait for a long time, it hurts. It's hard. There's a process to a lot of promises. And sometimes it can make someone's heart sick when their hope has been deferred or it seems to be put on hold. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the things not yet seen. So faith actually has a substance to it and a walk to it. Faith is not just a feeling. Faith is actually an action. We do things in faith. So I'm going to put that thought on hold for a second here. And then... I am going to go into a little bit of a teaching because here's the thing about promises. When a promise is truly from God, it has to be fulfilled. Now, sometimes this depends on the type of prophetic word or promise that it is, some words and promises are conditional. So God wants to do it for you and he will do it for you. And he recognizes that it is a desire of your heart and he wants to, but it still requires something from you. An example would be you get a word about having a thriving business, but then you don't try to start a business. Well, that is somewhat conditional. God doesn't usually just drop a business in someone's lap. You actually have to take a step to do that. So maybe he knows you want a thriving business, and he gives you the word that he's going to give that to you, but you still need to put your faith into action and take a step to create a business, because if you don't create a business, there's no business for God to thrive. So there are things that we need to do. There are also some words that come, and they are conditional in the sense of you get a word, and it says, Okay, this is kind of a harsh example because a lot of prophetic words don't come this way, but turn from this and I will bless you. Okay, let's, we're just gonna use really simple terms here as an example. Turn from that thing and I will bless you over here. Well, guess what? If that person does not turn from that thing, they cannot be blessed over here. Another might be, as you focus on this, God will show up in this, this, and this way. Well, guess what? If someone doesn't focus on that, God won't show up in that, that, and that way. So that word is true. God is still faithful, but there was a condition put upon that word. Why am I saying this? Because sometimes people are just struggling because a promise is tarrying. It's not coming yet, but it's still for an appointed time. And that is part of the process. There are also times that people are misled to believe something that is not godly or a godly promise. And there are times that people mislead themselves by expecting a promise to come, but not doing what they need to do to make it happen with a condition. So how do you know if it's a word that's from God or it's not? Well, it says in 1 John Chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. So we are to test the Spirit. It goes on to say, For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. And it goes on to explain that if they claim and acknowledge Jesus Christ, then, you know, they do have the spirit of God, but there are people in society that might say that and not truly walk with the Lord. But if they don't believe that, they are definitely a false prophet. So how do we test the spirit? Because we don't just test the spirit of a person, we test the spirit of a word. So some words or promises that you have gotten may have come to you directly. Others may have come through another person. So one, you can look at the fruit in a person's life if you have gotten a word from them to see if they are healthy and they do walk with God and they have good fruit in their own lives. Okay, so that's one way. You can also, and this is the most important thing, compare the word to the Bible. Anything in it that wasn't extremely straightforward about your life, is it biblical? In fact is it biblical period? Even if it is about your life, is it biblical? Is what God is promising you a biblical thing? Would this make sense? Would this be healthy? So an example, God is obviously not going to go and tell you to commit adultery. So if there is someone suggesting something like that and saying it's from the spirit of God, we can throw that out the window and say that it is not If someone says that, you know, God wants you to do this thing and he's going to bless you, but you have to go and steal this or whatever, we can assume pretty immediately that that is not from the Spirit of God. That is not biblical. God would not call us to do something sinful or unbiblical. That said, there are other ways to test the word. Does this word have to do with the heart of God? Is this something that the heart of God would genuinely want? Biblically, does this fit with what matches the heart of God? Then we can look a little bit deeper. And if there are words in it that maybe are a little more metaphorical or symbolic, we can actually test those words against the word of God. So an example would be, I actually had a vision in 2021 early in the year, like early spring or late spring in 2021. And God at the end of the vision or in part of the vision, I should say, told me that he was blowing away even the dust of my enemies. Well, I'll tell you what, within a few days, I was already reading through the Psalms at the time, and within a few days, I hit on a Psalm where God specifically says that he knows how fragile people are because they were created from dust and they can go back to dust in an instant and be blown away. All things created, meaning everything that is not God, came from the dust. God created it, and therefore it can go back to the dust and be blown away. So that was one confirmation. There are many, 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 many verses in the Bible that actually talk about God blowing away the enemy like chaff in the wind. God blowing away the dust of the enemy. There are verses all over. So God confirmed that word over and over and over again for me in Scripture. And that word, for me, related to some very specific things. I also have friends that have taught... That you know, there are even well known prophets that have felt that they had a a powerful encounter with the Lord, but then there was just this one thing in it that just seemed off. Well, it was a piece of scripture that was twisted and it was false. There was actually something false that related to scripture in what they heard. Well, because of that, they knew that it wasn't from the Spirit of God, it was the enemy playing with their minds because the enemy does come disguised as an angel of light at times. So the enemy was messing with them and he dropped a simple lie in because the enemy knows scripture too. But when the enemy uses scripture, it will always be twisted or out of context. We can see this example in Luke when Jesus was in the wilderness being tested by the enemy. The enemy used scripture to throw at Jesus, but it was out of context and Jesus used scripture right back at the enemy, so we can do the same. But we need to be aware of what the word is and if it matches scripture. So that is how you test a word. The other thing I will say is that when there is a big word and there is a weight on it, well, I that could mean two things, a weight as in a heaviness of it's a big word and a weight as in there's going to be a time to wait, God will often confirm his word. So a lot of the time, a word that you are going to get through another person will actually be a confirmation of a word that you have already received yourself from God. So that's important to know. Patricia King recently taught on something else that basically she was saying that there are some words that have a time frame. And an example that she used is she has a friend that always wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. But, you know, life got away with her. She ended up not being that. And now the woman is in her 50s or something. Well, guess what? Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders have an age limit. So unless they're going to start hiring 50-something-year-olds, that that is not a prophetic word that is any longer active in her life. And as Patricia King explained that, she explained that There are some words that God gives us because he knows it is a desire in our own hearts. But as our desires and priorities shift, he can shift that too. It's not something that has to, has to happen. There is a difference between that as a prophetic word and a promise from God. Because a promise from God, an example biblically, would be God promising Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son even in their old age, that they would have a son, and that Abraham would be the father of many nations, and that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars. That was a promise. Now when God issues a promise like that, it must happen. It has to happen. God will make sure it happens. So even though... Sarah and Abraham had to wait on it, and the wait was so difficult and long that Sarah and Abraham took matters into their own hands and did something that wasn't even healthy or wise for them by impregnating her servant girl instead of her. God said, That is not your promised child. Your promised child will be, be with your wife, Sarah. And they were old. They were in their old age. It seemed impossible, it seemed the farthest from happening, and yet. God still brought that promise to pass because that was a promise directly from God and he ensures that his promises come to pass. In Numbers 23 and 19, it says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not a human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Those were questions directed that he knew the answer to. The answer was no. He was saying them to those people so that they would know the answer already. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. He has never spoken and failed to act. He has never promised and not carried it through. So we know if we have a promise from God, he will act. He will carry it through. And that verse in context is because There was a king that specifically wanted a man to curse Israel because he was afraid of Israel, and he was afraid that Israel would come and take over his kingdom. But the man that he asked to do it went to God because he knew that he had no authority aside from God. And he asked God, and God said, I have blessed Israel, and therefore what I have blessed no one can curse. So when God makes up his mind and issues a promise, it can't be overturned. It didn't matter what the enemy was doing. God, God doesn't lie. God's promise stood. God already blessed Israel. So no matter what the enemy did, they could not curse Israel. So it might have looked really bad. It might have looked like the enemy was going to curse Israel. The enemy might have gone way out of their way to curse Israel, but they couldn't because God already made a promise and God already spoke it forth and God blessed Israel and God does not change his mind. So there are times in scripture and in our lives that we have a promise from God and it feels like we have been waiting for a very, very long time. It might even feel like it is the farthest from coming to pass. But when it is a true promise from God, you can be sure that he will move. That doesn't mean it will be in the timing that we want him to move. And that does not mean that it will feel good all the time, but we can be assured that he will move. And what, what do we do to steward that word in the meantime? We take action in faith because faith, as I said at the beginning, faith is an action. It is an action. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a word. It is an action it says in Galatians 6, 9, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. So we have to continue doing what is good. Continue standing on faith, in faith and on faith and standing on the word of God and continue doing the action that is good in faith. So what could that look like, stewarding a prophetic word over time, even when it has taken time? I want to read actually one more verse before we get into that. It says in Habakkuk 2 and 3, the vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So there are times that we feel like something tarries, that it's taking its time. But God says it will not be delayed. It has an appointed time. It will come at that time. Though it tarries, though it seems slow in coming, wait for it. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. It is yet for an appointed time. So. How do we not get weary and well-doing? Sometimes we need to be refreshed in the Lord. There are times that waiting is really hard. And the best thing that you can do in that moment is seek God. Focus on the things that are good in your life, the blessings, and thank God for those blessings. Walk with an attitude of gratitude for the things that he is giving you and the favor that he is giving you in the process. Thank him even for the healing and the discovery and the growth of the process. And lean into him and worship him and let him refill you. Get in God's presence. It's not by our strength and it is not by our might. It is by the spirit of God that it is done. So get into God's presence and let his spirit move. And do what only he can do because it is by his spirit So when you do feel tired, when you do feel weary, get in his presence and stand on his word. Now, as far as stewarding a prophetic word and how to do that, there are a few things that we can do, and I'm going to give some specific examples because faith is an action. So when you have a word and you have tested the word and you know that it's from God and if there is a conditional aspect of it, you know that you have done what you need to do, You also stand on that word and you decree that word and you declare that word and you thank God for it. So when you get a word, let's say it's for financial increase. Go through the Bible, find words in the Bible about increase. In Deuteronomy 111, for example, it says, God has fulfilled all of his promises to me even a thousand times more. I might be butchering that a little bit. But that's the basic verse. Now, I thank God for that. And I don't think of that just as an increase in finances. I actually think that of that as an increase in blessings, in the promises that he is fulfilling for me. He is doing even more than what he has revealed to me. So that becomes a decree for me. Every time I see 111 on the clock or anywhere in the world, I thank God. I stop and I say, thank you, God, for fulfilling all of your promises to me and even giving me a thousand times more. But that is also a good verse. If you've been promised financial increase, because it's about increase. It's about God giving you a thousand times more. So that would be an example of a way to thank God for it with a scripture. You can also decree it. I decree that God fulfills all of his promises to me and gives me even a thousand times more. A decree is putting something down as if it's a court order and decreeing it into existence. Saying a declaration is saying what is already done or what you already know to be true. As my mentor Jennifer Ivas says, a declaration, the best way to think about it is when you go to a different country, they ask you to declare all of the items that you have. So saying a declaration is like saying what you already have. And sometimes, You declare, I am a child of God. That would be a declaration. If you love the Lord and have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. Sometimes people like to say that they decree and declare when they do know that they have it, but they feel weak in the knowledge of it and they are establishing it on a deeper level. So an example would be like someone could declare that they have been given a sound mind, but maybe they've been struggling with anxiety. They might want to say, I decree and declare, God has given me a sound mind. So that would be an example of standing on a promise for healing. There are promises that are in the Bible that are true no matter what. Promises for healing. God is a healer. If you need healing, you don't need a word from a prophet or a dream from God yourself. You just need the word of God. It says that he is a healer. It says that by the stripes of Jesus Christ we are healed. So you can stand on that word and keep decreeing it and keep standing for your healing. But that would be an example of how you decree the word of God. You could, if you are standing for healing, say, I decree that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I am healed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That would be a a decree. You can decree and declare it. Also, thank God for it. Thank you, God, that I have been healed. Thank you, God. Let's say you had sinus trouble. Thank you, God, that I am completely healed of all sinus trouble. Let's say, going back to the example of increase in your finances, God gave you a promise for it, right? Thank him for it. Thank you, God, for the promise of increase financially. Thank you, God, that you are increasing me financially. I recently read a post from another prophet, Craig Cooney, and he had talked specifically about a personal testimony where he had a dream where God had, I think it was a dream. Sorry, it's his testimony. So I might be butchering it a little bit, but I think he had said it was a dream where God told him that he was going to give him a significant amount of money and that it was time for him to take a break from what he had been working on and focus on this other thing and that God would provide financially. So he started thanking God for it every day for that specific amount of money. Thank you, God, that you are giving me blah, blah, blah. And he did it. And, it, you know, God gave him that promise, but it didn't happen right away. And this wasn't a promise that took years and years to come to pass, but it did not happen right away. But he thanked God every day. I can't remember the exact amount of time. I think it was over a year before it came. But one day, someone did give it to him. They got a nudge from the Lord and a specific amount. And it was the exact amount that God had told him, if I'm remembering correctly. But he was blessed with a large financial amount. But he knew it was a word from the Lord. He knew it was biblical. He had gotten confirmation of it. And he thanked God for it every single day until it came to pass. So that is one way that we steward those prophetic words. Another way is to take action. So what would be an example of that? Say it's a financial increase word. You want to make sure that your finances are in biblical order, which what do I mean by that? You want to make sure that you're tithing because when the tithe goes into the storehouse, God blesses your finances. So even if you don't have finances to tithe much of anything, anytime you get something, you still have to tithe give what you can. It's not about the amount. It's about the tithe. It's the 10%. That's exactly what a tithe is. And so, so what you can, even time and effort, even blessings into other people. So what and where you can expecting God to increase it because he does keep his word. What's another thing that you can do? You can steward the finances that you have been given. Make sure that the bills and things that you have to pay are being paid on time as soon as you have the money, that there's no delay in that. Make sure that when you do get your finances, as I said before, that you are tithing the first 10% back to God because that is stewarding your finances. It's showing God that you are a good steward of them. And that gives him the opening to bless you. What's another example? Maybe he has told you that you are going to have a thriving business and it's a specific business. It's, maybe it's one that you have already dreamed about and God's told you that he's going to and you don't even know how because you don't have the money to start it yet you know what you can do in faith? Start doing the research. Name that business. Give it a name. Start doing the research for what you have to do to get in place for that business to get going. Maybe create a website, even if you have to create a free website for it. Do that. Get it going. Set it up so that you are taking action that says, God, I believe you and I trust your word. Maybe You have a runaway child and you are praying for your prodigal to come home. Make space in your house for them because God has promised you that they're going to come home and they're going to be with you for a period of time as they heal. Make space for them. Expect their coming. Thank God for it every day. Pray through Luke 15. Thank you, God. It says in that verse specifically, you know, that the father, the son came to his senses He came to his senses and he went home to his father. Now he went home with a repentant heart. And there is a verse where the father says, we celebrate because my son who was once dead is now alive because he came back. So you can thank God that he is bringing your child to their senses and he is bringing them safely home to you and that they will live. So those are some ways that you steward prophetic words. Now, If you are in the midst of believing for a prophetic promise on your life, ask God what a faith action is that you can take to bring that promise to pass. Ask God what a faith action is that you can do to prepare. And know that if it truly is a promise from God, and if you have tested that word, that you can stand on faith and on his word, that it will come to pass. And if you are tired and you are weary, go to those that you are close to and love and ask for prayer and comfort and help, but go to God and be in his presence and let him refill you. I also just want to close out and say a lot of the time we are given a promise from God, but instead of seeing that promise fulfilled immediately, what we see instead looks like the exact opposite. That happens sometimes. God gives a promise, but what is going on in our lives in the natural in that moment looks like the exact opposite. Well, guess what? Facts are not the truth. The truth is the word of God. And God can change facts to align with the truth. And if he has given you a promise, he can change the facts to bring it to pass. An example in scripture, and I'm going to finish just with this story, is Joseph God gave Joseph a dream that he was going to be a leader and that he was going to actually be above his brothers, that they would be serving him and bowing to him and his father. He didn't give him too many details, but he showed him that in a dream. And then he showed him another dream. God gave him that promise in a dream. But Joseph in the moment had some character building to do, and Joseph Well, Joseph told the dream to his brothers who did not like it and to his father who was a little shaken by it as well. And his brothers were so jealous and angry that they actually went to kill Joseph and then instead of killing him, decided to throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. So Joseph was given this prophetic word. He messed up maybe by sharing that prophetic word promise with his brothers, but they threw him in a pit. He went into slavery. Did that look like the promise where he was ruling over his brothers? No, he was being ruled over. He was bought. He was a slave. It wasn't anything like the promise. It was the exact opposite of what God had promised him in that dream. But the first master that he was sold to, he had favor with. So even though he was a slave and he was not ruling over anyone, Joseph found favor there, and he learned in the process. Well then, guess what? Another horrible thing happens, and his master's wife tries to sleep with him, and when he refuses her and runs away, she lies to her husband and tells him that Joseph raped her. Well, Joseph is then thrown in prison. (laughs) He's thrown in prison. Now, he didn't do anything wrong. He had had favor before that, but he was thrown in prison. Again, this looks almost even worse than when he was a slave in his master's home and had some favor. Now he's in prison. He's not even a slave. He's not even free. I mean, he wasn't free as a slave, but at least he wasn't in a jail cell. Now he's in a jail cell, not ruling over anyone. But guess what? In prison, he was given favor. They actually had him help with the other prisoners. And he learned things in prison, too. He learned about dreams even deeper. He learned to steward his dreams. And he also started interpreting dreams. Well, lo and behold, some people that worked for the king were thrown in jail, too, by the king. And they both had terrifying dreams or dreams that they didn't know how to interpret. And they asked Joseph or told them to Joseph, and Joseph interpreted it. The dreams for them, and they both came to pass. One of the people that had worked for the king was killed. The other one, the king pulled out of prison and he went back to his job, serving the king. But Joseph told him, that was the cupbearer that went back to serving the king, that when he went back to the king, he said, please just remember me and tell the king. Well, guess what? That servant did not remember to tell the king. He was relieved to be back in service to the king, but he did not Tell the king about Joseph. He forgot. Joseph had to wait again for a really long time. In prison the whole time. This whole process took many, many, many years. But eventually the king had a dream. And the king needed it interpreted. And guess what happened when the king needed it interpreted? Mm -hmm. The cupbearer remembered Joseph. And he apologized to the king for not remembering sooner. And he told the king about Joseph. And not only was Joseph accurate, but the king was so impressed with him that the king put him in charge of dealing with everything around the famine so that he could start storing up goods so that when the famine hit, people would be saved. And guess what happened? He ended up serving over his family. His family bowed to him because they needed him. But it wasn't just that he was going to be put in this high position. God had a purpose for it the whole time. He actually saved the lives of many people, including his own family. So was his family bowing to him? Yes, but he also saved their lives. And if he had not been put in that position, they could have all died. So God has a purpose in everything. And even though it seemed like Joseph may have messed up, God's promise still stood. God had a plan and a promise and God's plans and God's promises do stand. And even though it seemed like he was in these awful spaces, God was processing Joseph, growing his character, making him able to steward the job that he was given in his master's home. He learned skills that he needed in that position with the king. In that prison, he learned skills that he needed and he was put in contact with the people that were in contact with the king that put him in position. So actually, God even takes our mistakes because he knows what they will be ahead of time and he uses them even to fulfill his promise. So I just want to leave you with that encouragement and just think tell you that if God has truly given you a promise, it will come to pass. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how hard it has been. It will come to pass. I've seen promises in my life fulfilled because of the heart of God after years of waiting and it looking totally impossible. But test the word, see if there are any conditions Make sure it wasn't just um, a prophetic word that was because of your desire that God wanted to honor and that you are past that now. But if it is a promise from God, you have tested it, it is confirmed, it is a promise from God, stand on the promise and know that God will act and God will move on your behalf. I hope this blessed you. Have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week.